Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at Dub.com. We are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. And I'm psyched to be talking to Sean right now because there's a topic that we have to get into that I. I keep hearing opposing views on this, and I kind of have my own ideas about this. You know, this classic expression of the gold is in the follow-up, it's true to a certain extent, but what is the true balance? What's the Zen balance of providing value, not being too pushy, you know, continually wanting to generate demand and have yeah. people come to us instead of thwart ourselves upon them? So I'd love to get into this topic. Uh, first, let us know about yourself. Give us a short little bio, and then let's get into this. Perfect. Uh, my name is Sean Finder. I'm the founder and CEO of AutoClothes, um, former semi-professional tennis player, gone entrepreneur about six years ago. Um, AutoClothes is my second startup. Exchange Leads was my first. And AutoClothes, um, as most of you know, is a sales engagement tool. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that you, you play at the net. You're not a baseline player? I'm actually a baseliner. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm a counterpuncher. So I'm <laughs> okay. five feet behind the baseline and just... Uh, just you know, grinding away. <laughs> so you take you take your opponent's energy and you use it against them. <laughs> yeah, bring them to the net and just pass them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Uh, so what's what's going on? Let's let's get into this whole idea of of the follow up. You yeah. know, always be closing. You know, grinding. There are these this terminology in sales that I don't care for so much and I don't like to be the subject of it. But at the same time, I really appreciate people that are perseverant and people that stay on top of me because sometimes I know that something is a priority for me to do, but I haven't found someone as a guide to take me to the promised land. So I just kind of let it go and I say, you know what, I don't want to go there because I don't maybe understand it. So let's get into this idea of uh, the follow-up. Yeah. So I'll tell you, you know, first off, I think a lot of people um, don't realize when you're in sales, your job is to be in that balance between persistent and annoying. Um, you need to obviously not be annoying, but you do have to be persistent because if you're not being persistent, I always tell our sales guys, if you're not being persistent enough, you can bet your life your competitors are being consistent and following up. So I think you have to find that balance. And I think a lot of sales people are either on one end of the spectrum. So I think that's very important when it comes to follow up. Mm, okay, and then what are what are some things that you might recommend in this day and age, in this environment, to to really do this in a in a in a mindful way, yeah. where we're where we're effectively respecting people's time. Yeah. So I I always tell people don't you know don't beat around the bush pretending like you're not cold emailing somebody. Mm. Embrace the cold email. Like even you sometimes in this example in your subject line hashtag this is a cold email. But I'll say. The, the biggest mistake I find people do in follow-ups is they talk too much about themselves. Mm -hmm. They try and introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Sean Finder. I am the CEO, dot, dot, dot. When you should just, in your follow-up, just really be personalized and try and hit that prospect's pain point. Because if you can, they're more likely to reply to your follow-ups. So you just said something that was kind of jarring. I'm just jotting some notes here. You said that the subject line should actually say and reference the fact that it's a cold email. Is that what you oh. said? Well, sometimes, why not? I mean, I personally, when I get a cold call, for example, the first thing I'll ask someone is, is it a cold call? 50% of people say, no, it's not a cold call. And then when they do their pitch, it is a cold call. 
I rather work and listen to somebody that is honest with me. So using hashtag this is a cold email is not a bad idea. Not, don't use it all the time. But if somebody wants, they're going to know it's a cold email anyway. So you might as well just admit it. You know what, man, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, I'm realizing I'm connecting the dots here. The way that you and I connected was from a cold call. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> okay, you and I are talking because of a cold call. Amir from yeah. CloudTask yeah. cold called either, was it me or was it Darius? I'm trying to remember. And as a result, we started a combo, <laughs> created a partnership. Yeah. He was on the podcast. We got yeah. into it. Uh, and now here you and I are. So the next time someone says that cold calling and cold emailing doesn't work, I'm going to remind them yeah. of this, not just one relationship, but, but multiple that, it, that that's leading to like actual revenue. So, so cold is not dead. Cold is and, not cold. <laughs> and you know, funny you say that the first time I actually got was Amir reached out to me about a year and a half ago and it was through a cold call. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sent me about three emails. And then after that, I met him. I met up with him in Miami, and we've become very, very close now. We're almost like you know, we we push ideas back and forth, and that all came through a cold call and a cold email. So it's not dead, and it does work. You know, I I think one of the things as I start to really dissect this, there's this idea of confidence, and this idea of being comfortable in your in your own skin to the point where you can admit what you're doing, to the point where you don't have to hide behind something. You don't have to hide behind a title or saying, hey, I'm such and such person, I do such and such thing. Yeah. That takes guts, okay? That takes a certain amount of clarity, confidence to be able to do that stuff. I, I see it more times where, where people, the reason why they can't communicate with that you know, authenticity is because it's a lack of confidence, really. And the reason why I can say this is because I've been there. I know what it's like. I know what yeah. it's like to say, hey, I'm the CEO of X, Y, and Z company. I would love to get some of your time to show you how this is amazing. Typical email, yeah. yeah. Right? I, I've been there. I know what that's like. So uh, how, do you, how do you peel off that lay, those layers of, 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 of insecurity? You know, being a sportsman yourself is so relevant for this because, you know, mindset is so important to this when, when you're on the court. You know, I'm, I'm a tennis player, too, so I know I've never played competitively um, unless unless you count my, my dad and his friends. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but anyways, you, you see where I'm going with this. How do we kind of work through this? So I always tell people, I, I mean, and you said it, it's still one of those common mistakes I see as people in that first sentence talk about themselves i always bring it back to dating if you go on a date and you talk about yourself for 90 percent of the time you're probably not getting a second date it's the exact same thing with email so i always tell people follow the three second rule you have three seconds when you write that email to get that person's attention so do you want to talk about yourself or do you want to talk about a pain point or a challenge that person might be facing and i always do that three seconds because if you're going to introduce yourself in your company well guess what they can go to my email and see Sean at autoclose.com. They know my name. They know my company. I don't have to repeat myself. Hmm. So, so give me an example of, of the three second rule. You know, let's say that you're on, you're on a pitch. This is a cold email that's going yeah. out. 
I want to. I want to get into your mindset. I want because I know what it's like to write these emails. You write a bunch of stuff, and then you delete it, and then you write it again, and then you delete it, and it starts this long, and then it goes to this long, and yeah. it's like it's a whole process. You read it twenty. The more insecure you are, the more times you read it for typos. Like I, you know, I, I know about this. So, so let's get into your mind, Sean. Explain us your your mindset here. Okay. Let's say my buyer's persona might be you know a salesperson, SDR, or sales manager. If I sent them an email, my first line would be something like this. Ruben, if I can save you 15 hours a week in prospecting, but also fill your calendar with qualified demos, would you give me 15 minutes for a call next week? Question mark. And then I'll do like two, three sentences after that. So now if I'm that person, I look like, well, if you can save me 15 hours and you're going to book my, my calendar with meetings, yeah, I'll give you 15 minutes. Yeah. But that's the mindset I like to do. Now, don't get me wrong. If I'm talking to a business owner, it might be, if I can triple your revenue, because owners want revenue, SDRs want leads, it all depends on that buyer's persona. But something like that, that's three seconds, that's going to potentially resonate with that person is what I like to do. Mm. So so your mindset really comes down to who is this person? What are their ultimate goals? What is the problem that they're suffering from? And then how can you provide value to ultimately help them accomplish their goals, be happier, make more money and whatnot, right? You got it. And, and the other three second rule that I would do is on the other side is something personalized. So let's, for example, say the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl like they did last year. My sales guys will reach out to people in Kansas City and use that Kansas City as a nugget in that first three seconds of their email because everyone in Kansas City is so excited that they won the championship. And you use that as a three second rule to get them to read the rest of your email. And now, obviously, you don't want to write long emails, um, you know, 75 to 125 words max for any cold email on your initial email is what I like to tell people. One of the things that we're trying to do um, to this point is we're trying to change the way that people communicate with video. That's what Dub is oh, all yeah. about. Dub yeah. is all about that. And we are going all in on this. Now, the rules are changing. You know, this, this idea of providing the value upfront is so critical. Now, the thing that we're always trying to A, figure out for ourselves, but then also B, teach our user base is how to incorporate some of these rules that you're mentioning when you are using a webcam video, yep. a screen video, some sort of a personalized you know, video asset that's going to get shared with that email or LinkedIn message or SMS. Um, have, you, have you seen any, do you have any ideas for us? Have you seen any stuff that works? Any things that we should avoid? Yeah. I, I, first off, I love video. I think if you really want to stand out when you're prospecting, especially now that people are working from home, if you use video, you are going to get a better, a better reply or better conversion than somebody sending text. Now video is the same thing. People sometimes send five, six minute videos where people don't want to watch a six minute video. So you got to train. I don't know what you, you guys like to say, but I usually like to say, you know, 45 to 90 seconds is what I like to do for a video. And, and you'll probably be an expert at this more than I am, but it's the same thing. Instead of the three second rule of the email, I would say your first six to 10 seconds on the video is crucial because at the end of the day, you want them to watch your whole video. And if you start talking about yourself at the front of the video, they're going to know it's a cold video. You're trying to sell them something. They're probably not going to watch the entire thing. So I would say it's probably the same, the same method, but probably a little bit longer, maybe six to 10 seconds. But uh, I think the, you know, the number one mistake people write is, or do is long videos, which, you know, I don't have time to watch a six minute video. Tell me everything in 90 seconds. Now, <clears throat> what you touch upon is something that, that I think about a lot, which is that when we have confidence, 
when we know our material, yeah. we require less time to write about it, to visually show about it, to record a video about it. Yeah. When we don't have clarity, what happens is we just start rambling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's our creative mind that's trying to make connections and to figure out ways to communicate, right? Yeah. But when we get ultimately to that higher level, then we can we can we can pitch in 30 seconds. We can get into an elevator and in 30 seconds we can we can express ourselves. And then we can hook someone. We can say, "Hey, look, this is what we got. Are you interested?" And chances are our conversion rate's going to be significantly higher. What what would you say is the process that that you recommend that people go through? to really get it into their bones, a new SDR, someone that's trying to take, you know, sell a new product, a new VP of sales. How can they gain that confidence, gain that clarity to speak less? That's a, you know, that's a great question. I mean, well, first off, I speak way too quick, so I could probably do a three minute video in like 90 seconds, but I think it all comes down to, you know, personally, I never liked being on video. And I think you have to, you know, before you start prospecting use video, you could be doing stuff like you're doing, like doing a podcast, like getting familiar with different things. Go on LinkedIn and just do a short video. So get used to it. And the way you're going to get your confidence is by creating these videos that provide value and having people engage in them, watch your videos, watch you on podcasts as a guest, as a speaker. So I think the only way to actually get familiar or confident is by practicing and doing it a lot. It's just like anything else. How did I get good in tennis? It wasn't from just standing on a tennis court. It was, no, it was six hours a day of playing every single day for 15 years until I can reach my peak. So I think the recommendation I would give is, you know, get on the video, start doing Instagram videos, just keep doing videos and videos and videos, and you will get familiar with it because it worked for me. And as I said, I never liked being on video. And now I think every single day of every week I'm on video at some point. Love that, man. Love that response. That was so concise. I, I'm picturing you on the court, you know, <laughs> winning, winning. I'm picturing you winning at this game and people look at you and they say, you know, this guy, he's, he was gifted. You know, he, this guy, he's just, he's got a talent that I don't have. I can never play like that. I can't play tennis like that. Look at his serve. Look at his forehand. I can never touch that. And now I'm picturing you on a court with 236 balls spread across the court, a, a, a machine in the back next to you, cuts and bruises on your elbows, okay? It's five in the morning and you're, you're putting in the dues. And that's the thing that people don't see, right? And, and you mentioned that a little bit. It's putting in the time, which people just sometimes they don't want to do it, you know? So please tell us, please remind us of the necessity, the importance of that grind to be practicing six hours a day for a decade or two decades to really get our craft to where we want it to be. Yeah, well, first off, it's almost like you watch me play tennis because my serve and my forehand were my two best shots <laughs> and my backhand was my worst. So, and my volleys are suspect. So, hey, I'm just mirroring, man. That those are that's me. <laughs> you you knew my game. But as you said it, like, you know, for example, when when, when I was early on, I'll give you a, like a little story. I had a, you know, for anyone who knows tennis, I had a terrible second serve. I had a terrible second serve. People would attack my second serve. And I knew for me to be, you know, a top ranked player in the world at that point, I need to improve it. So what did I do? At least at 200 balls, I was doing 400 to 500 serves every single day until I crafted that serve, until I worked down the T on the ad side, the do side. So it's the same thing as business. And, and, you know, one of the things I always look for off topic a little bit in a salesperson is somebody that's actually played a competitive sport. I look on mm. their resume because somebody that's played a competitive sport is competitive. 
So they either love to win or they hate to lose. And those are the type of people that I like to work with. So if you want to craft it, you have to go out and practice. You have to go out and, you know, on video, you have to go practice. You have to practice your tone of voice, you know, the speed you talk, you know, what your everything, your background, your colored shirt, everything has to be crafted because ideally, you know, video is the new norm. When in, in the next few years, if you are not using video for prospecting, you will be left behind. So it's one thing I think people are not 100% all in yet, but it's something that everyone needs to be all in. So now is the time to start crafting it because it's not only for prospecting, but videos everywhere. Videos on every social media channel. It's on LinkedIn. Everyone has live streams. It's on TikTok, you name it, it's all video. So I think it's one thing to start getting familiar with it, but just keep practice and practice. And, uh, and then you'll get comfortable. And obviously at the end of the day, like you said, Ruben, very confident. Mm. Okay. Let's, let's get into a topic that, that you mentioned, which is, uh, this idea of, of competitiveness, right? So yeah. you play, you've played sports competitively. You're attracted to those types of folks that love to win, hate to lose. That makes total sense to me. It's, it's critical in sales. It's critical. You have to have that, that burning yeah. desire, right? Now, some people didn't necessarily follow that path in their life. Now they still want to win. They want to earn. They want to provide value. They want to feed their family, but they don't have necessarily that. I don't want to call it a killer instinct, but they don't have that competitive nature per se, right? It's not about, I have to win over these other people. It's that rising tide raises all boats and that ultimately my goal is to provide value. Now I'm not saying either one is correct. Um, you know, I've been watching Cobra Kai, so I'm a little like brainwashed right now because there's like, there's so, I don't know if you're watching that show. It's, it's insane. It's, it's funny. I, I've been, I actually been binged watch it and talk about this idea of like balance, competitiveness. You know, this is the reboot of the Karate Kid. So, you know, where do you kind of stand with this idea of folks that don't necessarily connect to the idea of being competitive, but that ultimately want to, provide a ton of value to help people. You know, someone like, I don't know, Tony Robbins, was he was he an athlete? Does he have that athlete, you know, hyper sort of competitive mentality? I don't know, you know? Uh, what, what is your take on that in terms of personality type? So if, if, if you, what I like to tell, if you're not a, like a, a pit bull salesperson, you have to really provide, as you said, value and educate and content. So you almost have to become like a master of your craft. And what I mean by that, and this is more important now than ever, because I think there's so many tools out there and so many products and services that are very similar. So how do you do that? Say, for example, I'm selling a sales engagement tool to you, Ruben, but I speak to you and you're telling me, well, I'm also looking for a CRM. I'm also looking for a software cold call. Educate them and become that go-to consultant on CRMs. Tell them what the difference between you know using pipe drive and Salesflare is. Tell them what the difference between this and this is. Tell them between connect and sell and something else. Between, you know, um, dub video and video. Become a master of your craft. Explain the differences and, and be more of a, take a consolidative selling approach than a solution selling approach. So that's what I really tell our sales guys. Because we have one sales guy, like you said, he's not as competitive as me. He's not as hungry as me. But he is more knowledgeable about all the different softwares out there. Use that, find that one thing that you might have as a competitive advantage over the other person and use that to your advantage. So I would say show value and definitely educate and consult your prospects. 
Mm. Nice. We have we have received we've received a lot of positive feedback on autoclose. By the way, we've had so many requests. We we had so many requests to build the integration, which which we have now. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to see that. At some point, I'd love to get your feedback on that. And what we did was we built the Dub integration via the Chrome extension to yep. work with with autoclose. So, you know this this idea of an ecosystem is something that I'm really passionate about. And yep. this idea of a network, a larger network, yep. you know, coming together with you, connecting with you. Uh, this is a testament to the power of the ecosystem. You know, there is so much sunshine to go around. These, the markets that we're playing in, they're trillion, trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar markets, right? There is so much com competition, there's so much uh, uh, sunshine to go around that competition, it, in my mind, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really mean much because for every company, for every individual, there's going to be some provider that maybe does it better, right? So one of the one of the topics that I actually had a chance to talk about with Amir, who, by the way, I think is going to join us as a guest appearance in, in the next five minutes or so here. Okay. Uh, yeah. So one of the uh, one of the topics is this, is this idea of of partnering or might I say not being intimidated by, by your competitors, you know, knowing that there's a larger ecosystem, knowing that there's, again, enough sunshine to go around. So how have you dealt with this in your business? Um, obviously, you know, the, the businesses that we play in, the sectors that we play in, there's, there's providers, there's folks that do what we do. I think you do it better, and I think Dub does it better, in my own humble opinion. But at the same time, we have competitors. What is your take on that? So people laugh at me sometimes when I say this, but I've actually been one of those people where I'll speak to somebody and they might want auto clothes and I will tell them not to purchase it. Mm. And here's why. As you said, there's a lot of players in the game. You know, for someone using auto clothes, you need to be drilling email specific. If you're looking to do email and phone, outreach.io is a better tool than ours. Like if you're looking to go more multi-channel, then outreach.io is a better tool. There's sales, there's tons of competitors. So what I think the most important is I always tell people it's better to have the right clients than have a client come with you just for the revenue and then they're not going to end up being happy. So I tell people there are a lot of competitors in our space. I will tell you what is good and bad about each one and I tell them the truth. I never put competitors down because I embrace my competitors. But if you're looking for a specific thing like email, you know, we are your tool. But if you're looking for a multi-channel, we are not your tool. So I think you have to not try and bring on clients just to bring on the client and say, I have another client that got more revenue. Because at the end of the day, those are the clients that will be the biggest headache to you that will ask for refunds that will leave you bad reviews. So I always tell people, choose your clients that actually fit what you actually do. Don't bring on the clients just to bring them on. Mm. I mean, that, that takes, uh, that takes confidence. You know, I, I know what it's like in the early days of a business where, you fight for those clients and oh, you, yeah. f you fight to get them and you fight to keep them. Yeah. And, and I know that mindset and there's, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, healthy sort of desperation in that mindset. And I think that when you get to a more transcendent place in business, knowing your product market fit, knowing your ideal client, you start to realize that, you know what, if I, if I try to boil the ocean, if I try to make everyone happy, no one's going to be happy, yeah. <laughs> you know? And at what point did you realize that you needed to really focus on on your on your ideal client and what their use case is? Well, I, I think it was when my 
well, when we were growing so quickly that my support couldn't handle all the growth. Mm. And then we realized that 90% of our clients weren't in our support. It was just a, a 10% of those. And then we looked at those 10% and kind of try and dissect them. Who are these 10%? What are they looking for? What business do they sell? Are we the right fit? And what we realized was those 10% that spend 90% of my support's time aren't even the right fit for our product. Mm. Meaning they're using our product in a specific way that might benefit them, but it's not the actual way you're supposed to use our product. So what we've done is, you know, we've actually been proactive and reached out to them and say, Hey, you know, um, I would, I think you're more looking for a CRM. You know, you're looking for a CRM. There's tons of CRMs. Here are three recommendations in my reviews and all three. Um, I think that might be a better fit than you for you than AutoClose would be. Mm. That makes sense. My sales guys hate it because I take away commissions. I take away clients, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm looking for the right people for the right product. And there's so many products out there nowadays that, um, that there's always new clients we can find. That's so well said, man. I, I, I look at when I look at my data charts, sometimes, you know, it's this whack-a-mole game that we have to play <laughs> where if we're more aggressive, if we go put the Facebook ads and we don't we, we accept people with a Gmail or a Yahoo account to sign up, all of a sudden our, our signups get a lot, get to be a lot more and oh, we yeah. get this boost in signups but then our conversion rate dips and then our churn rate increases. Oh, yeah. And it's this constant balance of our data, yeah. trying to figure out where the sweet spot is. What is the you know ideal acquisition cost? What is the ideal, what is the ultimate most truthful long lifetime value of the customer? What is the churn rate? What, what are your North Star metrics? What are the metrics that you live and die by? You know, uh, what can we learn from that? So, I mean, the metrics we look for, we look for is we, we now focus more on website traffic. Uh, we focus mm. big on SEO. That was one mistake I did early on. I didn't believe in SEO when I first started the company. For the first year and a half, we didn't do it. Then we hired an SEO girl, and I'll tell you, it's been unbelievable since. Backlinks, all that stuff, website traffic. But you just said it. One of the biggest things we had early on was tons of people just signing up for free trials. I'm talking about they'll create... 50 accounts with the same email, um, with Gmail, Yahoo, not only you didn't even mention, you know, all the fraudulent credit card charges that we're on and we had back charges and chargebacks and all that. Um, business emails are great. Cause as I said, you, you're better off getting 10 clients that are into your product and convert three or four, than have a hundred and you're only converting 10 because ideally you're wasting a lot of time. You got to clean up your CRM, but uh, all the things you mentioned is the same stuff that we had early on. And we made some changes. One was um, only allowing the business business email. So we didn't allow Gmail for a while, um, adjusting the pricing a little bit, um, making it a double opt in. So you don't get, you know, 50 accounts. Um, we had, we had the same sort of issues uh, definitely early on. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, here's, here's one for you. We, there's these things that we can do that are, are sort of can cannibal. Hi, Donnie. What's up, Donnie? Hey, say, say hi. We're on a podcast. <laughs> Hello. So, this is my six-year-old, seven-year-old, in, in how many days now? In like two weeks almost. No. So, uh, thirteen days. Thirteen days. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So here's my question. Uh, my question is: there are some massive cannibalizing things that SaaS companies can do in their business. One of those things is is not allowing folks to sign up without putting a credit card in. Yes. Okay, so this is a massive cannibalizing thing for a business, potentially, yeah. right? And on the pros, you, you, you everyone puts their credit card in. Nope, there's no one that's kicking the tires. Everyone is committed. 
On the flip side, if they are not committed, there is no room for some trial opportunity. Let me kind of yeah. test it out. What is your take on that? That's a great question. It's something that we actually did early on. So early on, we forced everyone to put a credit card in. Um, but what we ended up changing was, I, I think what you have to do is when you build a big enough brand that you can have people just put their credit card in. Like if I was a sales force, people trust me. But when I was early on in AutoClose and a lot of people don't know who AutoClose were two years ago, they would mess with me like, oh, you're asking for my credit card already? Like it was a little bit too much. So mm -hmm. we started off with that and then we took it away. But I would say it all depends on where you are as a brand with your business. And that will be when you can decide if you can do that now. Right now, I think I would feel comfortable doing it now. But two years ago when I did it, it was not a good move by us. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember going through this this uh, this thought process of should we make it so that people have to put a credit card in? I mean, it would solve so many problems that 100% of those people are at least a little bit committed here. I mean, you can't put, you can't get past this gate, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the the other one, I love what you said. I love what you said. There, There's a time for that. You know, it really yeah. depends on the maturity of the business. It depends on definitely product market fit. It depends on what this client is. You know, where we landed on this is this idea that, it's kind of new. What we're doing, it's kind of new. I mean, we didn't invent it per se, but we're just innovating on it. Yeah. So as a result, people need to get into this psychological mindset. You know, it's not like they it's not like there's a tool that they have that they've used before that they're looking for a replacement. This is something that potentially is completely new for them. So that's why we decided to just not require the credit card up front and just know that some people are gonna kick the tires. And then and then we kind of leaned into that and we said, you know. We have a social coefficient for what we do because yeah. when people create videos, when people share videos, other people see those videos and then they see dub, they know it's dub and they want to sign up. So we have this kind of social coefficient number that that kind of makes it all worthwhile for us. Uh, but this is something I think about yeah. a lot. You know, I call it the, the viral loop. Yes, it? yes. The viral loop. Exactly. But, uh, one other thing that we talk about the credit card is we had a lot, a lot of people use fake credit cards when we forced mm. a credit card. And that just ended up being an accounting disaster, you know, chargebacks, this, that. They were trying to test out credit cards. So we, we, we went in a different direction. But I do think for, for bigger companies, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. You know, another, another thing that we went through was, uh, you know, this idea of real-time chat. Yeah. Now, this was this was a whole convo because what we were noticing, we used intercom at one point. We don't use intercom anymore, but we use them for some time. And we had two to three operators at any time that were able to answer questions in real time. And what we here's what we learned, and I'd like to get your take from this. What we learned is that the real-time response wasn't it, it felt good from a customer experience because someone is live that's able to yeah. respond, but the Oftentimes, the most difficult questions, it took minutes to get, I'm sorry, it took hours to get back to them because we would have to escalate it. We have to create a support video. We'd have to share an article. And then ultimately, we were just, just kind of delaying these responses that ultimately took more time than we wanted to. And we migrated away from real-time chat. And now we just have, we completely leaned into a knowledge base, articles, videos, much more self-serve, and then uh, email response. So we, we try to get back to folks as soon as possible. Sometimes it's within minutes, but you know we at least are transparent about the fact that sometimes it could take hours. Uh, what is your take on this? What is the process that you went through with this? Great question. So we actually use Intercom still right now. 
um, on our on our software. Um, I will say this early on. That's another metric that we've been monitoring week by week. So early on, we had the same issues. We weren't getting back, but now we we kind of pre-qualify people with early questions in intercom, but. Our reply rate, we reply to any support ticket, any sales question within a minute and 27 seconds. So right now within 90 seconds, we have we have two people in support or three people sometimes in support and they within 90 seconds always reply. For us, it is something that never, you never stop building. We have to build those articles. Every feature, we have to build a video. We have to build the resource center. So we do have all those resources, but at the end of the day, I will say that no matter what, they always know Sometimes if they're talking to a bot or a person, yeah, they always know. I mean, I always know. So it's still something that is a challenge. Um, we are still using intercom, even though they are very costly, a lot more costly now than they were a few years ago. Mm. But um, the resource is what we do also have. But uh, we just, you know, we find it easier to ask. But we also have intercom inside the app for people that have questions while they're in. So it's worked well for us. But um, I can see definitely how a resource center would be, you know, less manual work and you can probably get re replies back right away. Yeah, I tend to agree that I, I, I think that what we kind of what we're experimenting with right now is this idea is what if we had to make our knowledge base 90 percent perfect? What yeah. if we had to do that? You know, and that's kind of the mindset that we got into where instead of take, it's, it's easy to respond to someone and say, hey, here's how you do X, Y, and Z. Just click on this, do this. Here's a screenshot, little red arrow pointing there. Boom, yeah. done. It, that might take five minutes and we, we can do that, right? But what we started to say was that what if we just forced ourselves, really put in the discipline to say, you know what? We're not just going to do that short email. We're really going to lean in. We're going to put the animated GIF. We're going to use our own product. We're going to use Dub. We're going to put a you know YouTube video in there or a Dub video, and it's going to be extremely, extremely informative. And that's kind of where we landed on this. This is a very new thing for us. So this is just a couple of months in. So far, I think the feedback has been positive with people because our, just, our knowledge base just increased dramatically. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, but some 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 people do need that sort of hand holding, you know. And we're trying to figure out ways to to have the best the best of all yeah. worlds, you know. And I'd love to hear how that works out because, to be honest, like now that I think about it, you know, for the amount of support tickets we get in a day, we could probably personalize each one and send them, in, in, you know, a nice email each one separately. So it'd be interesting to see what uh, how that works in the response time. And like we also track how quickly we close a ticket. So I'd love mm. to see those analytics from you guys when you guys actually do this test run. Got it. That makes a lot of second. Yeah, that that's that's a great metric actually. The time to close a ticket. Now, I know that some companies if they don't receive a response back from someone saying, "Hey, I'm all good." They they actually do a, another follow-up and say, "Hey, I just wanted to make sure you're good." And yeah. then they close the ticket. What is do you know your process on that? What what's your take on that? We we do that as well. So we continue to follow up um, if we don't hear back I think two to three times we close the ticket. But ideally, if we're in the conversation within 90 seconds, right now we're about five minutes and 36 seconds average rate to close the ticket, which is pretty good. Um, and we've, we, we continue to work on that number because we believe we want people to stay in the software and be able to use it and not find so many issues. So um, having those two metrics, how long it is to, rep to answer their email and obviously close it are, very, are two metrics we always look at. Nice. What... Uh, how can folks learn about AutoClose? How can they connect with you? How can they get signed up with, with AutoClose? Yeah, you can go visit the website, autoclose.com with a K. So it's K-L-O-S-E. Um, 
follow me on LinkedIn. I provide a lot of um, valuable resources, tips and tricks, all my presentations, um, podcasts, etc. Um, and email me, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, um, at autoclose.com. If you have any questions about anything we discussed today, I'm more than happy to help you guys. Nice, man. And I, I think, um, you know, the fact that that you give your email address like this, is just, it's a testament to to where you are in the in this in the product cycle, I think the most successful people are transparent with things. I think that they give their email address out. You know, the the editor of TechCrunch, if you go to his Twitter profile right now, his email address is right there. But if you go to some of the writers that are kind of climbing the ranks, they don't put their emails there. Oh, and I, yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And and it's and it's it's a theme. It's a theme I think that exists that when you when you climb the mountain and you get closer to the top. You know, you're you're more transparent about things. Yep. You're more confident. You're more concise. You're more honest about the things that you're doing. And these are just some traits right off the bat that I was able to gather from you, man. And I I really appreciate this time, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ruben. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sean. Take care. All right. Bye bye.